everybody welcome to the 281st edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here live and direct beaverton oregon shoot i was legitimately about to talk about a prospect i didn't see his tape we're doing the thing on the actual trailblazers this week how was your weekend this is sunday night it's our normal recording time you know we took last week off there was not much to talk about uh all-star weekend did not have any blazer fanfare so how was your weekend my friend it was it was a uh, pretty damn good uh i have neglected this certain site no house advantage because like not many people were into it and then i realized i had 40 dollars in my account so i bet and then i won 300 dollars. so i was like this is gonna make my day pretty damn good no house advantage is awesome because it's a prop betting thing and the props are stagnant. So they make it at the beginning of the day and don't change it. So information is power. So you you can make really smart decisions at 3, 3, 3.30 and you can win money because the uh, the lineups don't fill. So you have plenty of time to make your decisions. So I made like 300 bucks on prop bets. So I'm like, that, that makes my weekend pretty good all the way. And then uh, I've been playing Cyberpunk 2077 uh, they did like a nice uh, a patch to make it for uh, next generation consoles. And this was like one of the most hyped games ever. I played it with the new, like all of the updates. And was like, okay, this is why this is why it was so supposed to be so hyped. I get it. And I'm enjoying it. I think I've played like 34 hours in the last week, which that's a lot of, that's a lot of time. So uh, mine, mine has been good. How's your weekend been? Yeah, it it was as good as it as it could get. I would say, like even more so than usual. I feel like there's a lot of shit going on right now. Uh, whether you want to look uh, domestically with all the bills that are trying to get passed in Florida and in Texas, um, really discriminating against um, the LGBTQ plus community, and then obviously internationally, you have Russia just straight up invading uh, Ukraine. And for those who don't know, my wife uh, spent the first 10 years of her life in Ukraine. Uh, Her mother was born and raised there. And, you know, they came over uh, to the States uh, over, you know, 20 years ago, but it's it's still difficult, um, you know, keeping up with the news and hearing all of the updates. So it was, it was nice this weekend. Um, Watched a lot of uh, college basketball uh, to kind of take my my mind off of it. Saturday was a crazy day. I think it was maybe historic in terms of the amount of upsets um, that that took place. I think like Villanova didn't play, uh, and everyone else other than Baylor lost, and Baylor only won because they played another top ten team. So just unprecedented upsets. Great day of basketball. Uh, my Ducks unfortunately lost on basically a last second three pointer to USC there. Firmly on the bubble, but the Lady Ducks got the dub and they finished second in conference. So uh, really looking forward to the Pac-12 Women's Tournament. Um, We're potentially going to get tickets to uh, the NCAA Men's Tournament, which is coming to the Rose Quarter uh, on the 17th and 19th. So that should be really fun. And then today we drove down uh, and visited uh, her family, you know, just to to spend time with, with them and went to antiquing, which I love doing. And this antique store in Corvallis, I picked up a 77, uh, seven up champions bottle glass bottle. And then they had 10, 10 dairy queen blazer glasses. I cleaned them out. You know, I, I hit them, hit them heavy. And I was like, I saw those. I literally stacked them up, went to the register said, please set these aside for me. And I went and perused uh, the rest of the store. So uh, it was great. We went uh, thrift shopping, um, got a really nice wool coat from Pendleton for like 40 bucks, um, which is crazy. I found myself a sweet cardigan. Like it, it was a good day to just try to escape reality. And then we're here. We we're talking sports, doing what we do. And even as shitty as the Blazers are, it's it's fine. I mean, this is the the season that that needs to happen in portland uh to recap portland after the all-star break 
had a short two game week, both at home. Both were non-contest. Uh, on Thursday, it was a nationally televised broadcast uh, on TNT. Portland loses 132 to 95, uh, despite a spirited effort in that first quarter. And then uh, just this evening, they lose 124 to 92 against a, a much more talented uh, Denver Nuggets roster. Uh, as it stands right now, Sage, with the result uh, tonight in Los Angeles, uh, the Blazers are now out of the playoff, out of the play-in at the moment. They are 25 and 36. They are tied with New Orleans uh, for 10th. New Orleans has the tiebreaker. And more importantly, they are just a game ahead of the San Antonio Spurs, uh, which is very important for um, all of the, the lottery odds that we're now keeping our eyes on over the course of these next 20 games. I mean, it is really tight, really from pick seven through probably 12, um, you know, games to, to keep an eye on. You you want the Wizards to keep winning. You want the Lakers to keep winning. I kind of think you want the Pelicans to lose a bit. You don't want them to get too hot. Uh, obviously, you want Portland to lose. You want the Knicks to win. You want the Spurs to win. And then the Indiana Pacers, right now they are five games ahead of Portland in, in the loss column, but they have a pretty easy schedule coming up. They got an unexpected blowout win over the Boston Celtics. So that is another team to keep an eye on. So, uh, a lot to watch. There are a lot of teams really going full steam ahead, trying to get the best odds as they can for these draft prospects. Sage, with all that said, what was your good for the week? Anthony Simons showing some finishing craft around the basket. Of course, we want him to dunk it. That is the most simplest way of finishing around the hoop is just blaming it on some unexpected and I think him learning how to do that elevates him from, oh, he could be really good to no, he's going to be a multi, uh, a perennial all star. If he learns that aggressiveness, just to the, the jaw Morant, like when you see jaw attack the rim, you're like, he's going to hurt somebody. I need to see that from Amphrey. If, if he starts showing that, that that is a very pleasant sign. Well, he doesn't do that, but he's showing. I wish he would. I wish he oh, would. Everybody, everybody in, in Rip City hopes and wishes that he would. But he was showing some real like skilled finishing with his floaters and like the running jump shots. Like he showed a, an impressive bag that I did not think he had. I thought he only had the three point shot and then was like driving it just to drive. Well, in these last few games, and he's obviously not playing much because we're getting blown out in three quarters. But you see the skilled finishing, like the the push shots. So seeing that makes it so. When he drives, there is a possibility it's driving to score, not driving to pass. And I think that increases his value and it increases his potential of being what you said with an all-star. So I, at least we're seeing some skilled finishing. Of course, like with, with that athleticism, he should be attacking the paint like a demon. He's not, but he is at least showing some skilled finishing. So that is my good for the week. Yeah, I also, uh, you can tell with so many bodies out right now that Anthony's kind of the one left. You target um, him. A, a case could be made for Josh Hart as well. Yes, you saw the Golden State Warriors throw out playoff-style defense. They threw out the kitchen sink at, at Anthony Simons. He struggled. Oh, he struggled mightily when they started to uh, trap. But And they had mittens on him too. Like Gary Payton Jr. doesn't. First isn't of all, a joke. that is a fantastic nickname. I don't know if you came up with that. But no, the DFS text, community did. When you texted me that, I was like, "Who the fuck is Mittens?" Oh shit, the glove, baby glove. Yeah, that that is a a S tier uh, nickname. And I th even if he struggles for a, a, a little stretch, I think it's good for him to know what's coming. Like you're no longer new on the scouting report. Teams know what you're capable of. This is what Damian Lillard's had to handle basically the entire portion of his career and how he is able to kind of take the failure and learn from it because he is going to fail. I mean, he, he's still super young and he's getting high level complex defenses thrown at him. So how he is able to watch the film, learn what he could do better um, I don't really care about his assist numbers right now. If you're passing out to, you know, Kelgen Blevins and Brandon Williams or CJ LB, who knows if they're going to make that shot? That, that's not the point. The point is, can he make the right read and how, how is he processing it? So 
uh, I thought it was really good that he's kind of, in, in a sense, kind of getting thrown into the deep end and just from another level, because I think, and I was listening to uh, Damian Lillard. He was on the Draymond Green podcast. I listened to it as we drove down uh, to the Willamette Valley uh, this afternoon. And one of the things he said, and it was in reference to Ja Morant, was both of those players were, were mid-major point guards who didn't have a lot of talent around them. So learning how to produce and elevate players who maybe aren't on your level was such a valuable skill set that Lillard mentioned that when he got to the league and he was playing with Rolo and Wes and Nick in LA, it's like, this is kind of easy. You know, like you, it, it was easy for him. So I think the last 20 games, you're going to surround Anthony with marginal NBA talent at best. But if he continues to improve with his reads, continues to process the game a little bit quicker and doesn't get too down on himself because there is a chance that could happen, but doesn't get too down on himself. I think when he comes back into the training camp, plays over, plays over the summer in pickup games and starts, you know, preseason, the regular season, and he's going to have a legitimate NBA roster next to him. He's going to make this shit is easy. So if he can really treat this as a learning experience, it's going to make him a more complete player. Um, and that that's everything that Portland wants going forward as a future franchise building block. So I, I as you were talking, I Googled and went to the NBA uh, stat, stat page and looked up potential assists per game. Because like you said, he's throwing it out to people fighting for their spot in the league. So even though he throws a good pass and misses, it's still a good play. He has currently in the last 10 games, 11 potential assists a game that puts him next to guys like John Morant, Cole Anthony. He's above De'Aaron Fox, above Josh Giddy in potential assists a game. And one of the biggest things that we had for him was that he isn't the best reader of the offense. And I think that is still very true, but at least he's making an attempt to pass it to these players. Because when you're getting trapped by a defense, you have to swing it out to the open man. He At least he is doing that. So there's there's something you can work with. When this, this experiment first started, I thought that it, it was cookie dough that his playmaking abilities was cookie dough. You can't form it into anything. Now you, there is a solid piece of something that you can work with so that he has a building block for playmaking. I don't think he'll ever be that legitimate alpha playmaker, but he at least has the ability to see some, some windows in the uh, for his passes. So props to him for at least tr- attempting to get his, his bad teammates involved. My good for the, I have a few goods. I don't really have a bad and I have one minor ugly. So I have, I have a few goods that I'll let you um, chime in as well and get, get your take on. But for me, first and foremost, the, the blazer brass is embracing the suckage. And it started with Yusuf Nurkic, which I don't think it's a legitimate injury. Uh, you can play on plantar fasciitis. Um, didn't seem to be impacting him at all. So I think it was a, a smart decision to, to work with his agent probably behind closed doors and say, this is what we're willing to offer. They, they kind of do a backdoor handshake deal and they say, okay, we, we can sit him. Uh, you saw before the break, the Blazers defeated the Bucks and the Grizzlies on the road. And I think Joe Cronin uh, was like, whoa, whoa, we, we have to put a stop to this because you, you start to see the other teams around Portland in those standings. And you don't want this terrible season to kind of go for waste, right? Sage, like it's almost like you're writing a paper and you you get to a point where if you turn it in, you might get a C, but if you really just kind of grin and bear it and get down to work for a couple more hours, you can get a B, maybe an A. And I think that's what Joe Cronin was saying. Okay. Like it's going to get ugly, which it has these past two games, but it's only for 20 more games. Would you rather this season end with Portland picking 13 or 14 late in the lottery, maybe even getting into the playoffs and getting swept, losing the pick altogether, or just embracing what this season is and saying, thank you, Yusuf, for your service this season. It's not going to be needed the rest of the year. We need to try and really get a game changer. So 
one, the fact that I don't think this is a serious injury is, is a dub, but two, knowing that Portland was like, okay, we, we really need to do this the right way. And I know I, I've seen, you know, comments on either the boards or Twitter and people are kind of bummed out. This is, this is what it is. This is exactly what is supposed to happen. Portland should be fielding this level of talent right now. What, what you're doing is, and this will get into another good, which is they are starting Keon Johnson. You trade Covington and you trade Powell. The best chip you get back is the as a 21st overall pick from last year's draft. Keon Johnson, guard out of Tennessee, very raw, needs a lot of time. This is the exact time to do it where you don't care if you win. In fact, you probably don't want to win. Go out there, play a ton of minutes, make mistakes, get your feet wet, get all the experience in the world so that you can have a strong summer. Like everything right now is building towards the following uh, off season and the uh, training camp and regular season. So I thought it was brilliant that they gave Keon Johnson the start. It started out well, looked a little rough later on, but there's going to be bumps in the road, especially with a, a long-term prospect such as Keon. I mean, you take care of Trendon, you let him know, okay, you're locked up. You're not going to be a restricted free agent. You can let him play through some mistakes, right? You have Greg Brown, who really is a is a project, but he's now showing some. I didn't know he could hit threes. He's not hitting him at a great clip, but I didn't know he could hit him at all. So you're starting to see players that might be able to contribute next year. They may not, but at least Portland is getting an advanced look at their farm system, and they can they can make a decision in the offseason. We talked about this a couple of episodes ago. They're probably going to have to decide between C.J. Ellaby and Elijah Hughes based upon the depth chart based upon how many roster spots are available next year and how guard friendly it is in the draft with potentially four picks uh, come June. So now you kind of get a, a open audition for a quarter of the season as to who do you want to bring back? So I, I thought a lot of those were, were really good things for the Blazers. Um, you lose and you do it, you do it well. And, and that's what they're doing because I would much rather go into the draft lottery with the fifth, sixth, or seventh odds than 10, 11, 12, or none at all. And I think you'll you'll thank yourself later, right? Like if you're committed to getting a good lottery pick, you got to stay committed. And, and that's what I've been pretty much this whole season. It's like, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's where my focus is at. And, and I think if you're only watching the Blazers, that can be tough because you're like, oh God, I got to watch this team again, or they're going to get blown up by 30. Watch some college basketball, start studying up on prospects, even just watch like 10 minute scouting reports on, on YouTube. Look at the mock drafts, kind of see who's going to be in Portland's range and just kind of get a head start on them coming up to March Madness. Hell, just even watch March Madness. Like that gives me a lot of excitement about this team long term. Is you could potentially have two top 10 picks and what I think is a pretty strong draft class, it's also a really great tool for me to, I think, you know, escape reality. Like we're all looking for hobbies or things to keep our mind off of uh, what's going on. You like, you can only be, for me, I can only be so informed before, like I kind of go crazy. So I, I need to be able to switch gears, like studying the draft, talking about it with you, doing our future Fridays. Like it's, it's, it's literally exciting for me. Like the last time I was, I was thinking the last time Portland had two lottery picks, 2006, Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge. Fantastic. Well, Zach, we had three picks for Zach not lottery Howard. picks though. True. Two lotto picks, Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge. what they do the next year? They ended up getting the first overall pick. I mean, they didn't make the right pick there, but they set themselves up for a potential dynasty. I'm not saying they're going to get a dynasty this year, but you have to just like playing the lottery. You got to buy your ticket for your chance to win. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was those. And I have one more, but I wanted to know if you wanted to jump in on any of this. I mean, we're doing what a team that's 25 and 36 does. They either do the, what new Orleans did and get a, a proven star to help them make the playoffs or they trade away that that player and tank. It, it it is what it is. It's the this is the the roster that we are stuck with for the rest of the uh, year. We we made some moves. We uh, we uh, helped Trendon 
create wealth for him and his family. We get to see what Keon Johnson could do in an NBA uniform. Wow, I wish he had a better uh, second, third, and fourth quarter because I did. I tweeted about it and said I put twelve percent of my lineups towards him. So hopefully, but uh, no. I mean, that, that is his first NBA start. So, well, it's his first NBA start and he was $3,500, the bare minimum. So I'm like, oh, I can, I can fit LeBron James into my lineups now. So good. Uh, he was, he was God awful, but yeah. So just to see, just, just the Blazers might not be that your escape, but there's a lot of other things that you can do. You can watch the Memphis Grizzlies. You can watch good basketball teams play basketball. Or do the college, college uh, basketball thing too. But if I if I was you, I I would watch good NBA teams because some some of these college basketball games suck. Yeah, bas- <laughs> it's hoop. Uh, my other good for the week was back to that podcast, the Damian Lillard interview, which was excellent, and um, listened to it on the drive down said a lot of things that get me excited about his potential return. And I say potential very intently because he recently, I would say since the beginning of this year, yeah, he's always committed to Portland, which is his prerogative. And if you're stoked about that, great. If you're not, whatever, but it's, he's always said, yes, I want to be a blazer, but he's always kind of left the door open. Like all, it's it's been more of a I'll wait and I'll see how how things are are landing. So I still think there could be a similar agreement with CJ where they're like, okay, it's time to move on. I'm not advocating for that. I'm just stating a, a personal opinion of what I think may or may, which may happen. But just hearing about his injury and the fact that he played through it and how he was able to play at such a high level, first of all. I'm kind of upset he didn't get get this taken care of sooner because he could have been even more incredible. But it eases my doubts that he is on the decline. Uh, This season with what we saw from Dame, it it definitely could be. I mean, he is going to be 32 years old in in, uh, the summer. He could be on the decline. But given how he was really talking about it and how he really wasn't even able to move, and we, we did see, we saw him literally go from the best player in the playoffs in that Denver series to what is this guy doing in the Olympics? Like he he can't even guard Patty Mills to what he was doing in the regular season, like, and how he detailed, like he was getting a ton of treatment during that Denver series. It felt great. And then his, he said, his just his side just like gave out on him in Tokyo. So I'm excited. Like he, he sounded really focused. Like the next three years are going to be like some of the best years that he has left. And you can tell this year he has a lot of games always played with a chip on his shoulder. Like that's been one of the reasons that has made him great. I think that chip has kind of reemerged if that's possible for, you know, a first team all NBA caliber player where you had a lot of people talking like, is, is Dame on the decline? Is, is he done a little bit overrated? Why was he in the 75th overall um, anniversary team? Like all of the things, you know, Dame hears that. I think he's going to come back with, with, a, with a drive and a passion where I think if Portland is capable of fielding a, a good team, we, we could see a really re-engaged Dame, similar to, to Steph. And I think <laughs> they parallel very nicely because Steph had a, had a pretty minor injury, but the Warriors were like, it's not happening this year. Let's be smart. They ended up with the second overall pick and he basically got a mental break. You know, they went to five finals in a row. It's a lot and of ball that the, those two. It's a play. lot of that. That's X. That's not only is it a lot of ball. That's like high pressure, high high caliber, high leverage right? ball. Yeah, like really mentally exhausting as well. He got that. He got that break. He came back. But it could have been the MVP last year. It is playing fantastically this year. MVP of the All Star game. I'm hoping that's what happens to Dame. And I think that's something to really look forward to when you're looking at, at the rosters, like, okay, this guy still has some left to give. If it's manageable without mortgaging the future, let's bring in some, some talent to, to try to win. I'm excited for him to be re-engaged and I'm really excited for the three potential or four potential draft picks to have an engaged Damian Lillard help mentoring them from 
the first day that they're in the league until he leaves the Portland Trailblazers. Having that is going to be so useful to a lot of, I mean, damn near every uh, rookie. They all can use that mentorship that he has gone through a lot in this league. So he's going to be able to drop gems to whoever we draft. Like having that mentorship, like I, I believe we talked about it last time, having Mo Williams, having Earl Watson, having your star player be engaged in your future is going to be huge for these three or four brand new rookies. So I'm excited for the uh, future, but the ugly this week is going to be watching some awful basketball by the Portland Trailblazers. It's like, it sucks watching bad basketball, but it's for, it's for something tangible tangibly I mean, good i was very happy with the results so i'm i'm all like it's less stress i'm like oh we got this l how can we move up in these lotto standings like all in on the draft uh my ugly is you see how well cj mccollum has been playing over these past six games in new orleans and you see the switch that willie green made he took out uh graham so cj was the primary guard put some size next to him you see how well that is working out. I fear that the Dame Ant duo is just going to be Dame CJ 2.0. That's that's my ugly, and I fear they're going to go down that same path. And I, I don't know if there's anything that me, you, or Bill Shonley can, can do about it. So I I think Portland. I, if Joe Cronin is as smart as I think he can be he really needs to start having some contingency plans like that. That cannot like if, if this were Neil O'Shea, his plan, we got Damon Ant. Like he, he, he gets zones in on something and he has tunnel vision like a motherfucker. Joe Cronin needs to be smart about this. Yes. We love Ant. We love how good he's been. Yes. We love Dame. He's basically, you know, the, the pride of Portland right, right now. I think he's going to have to make a tough decision on, on who to keep and, I just don't know if right now you can go back to Ant being a sixth man. Uh, I don't, and clearly you can't. If Dame wants to be here and his value is too low right now, you have to at least let him play a season to get the value back up. Um, I, I just, I, I fear that it's it's not going to work. I know people have said that, you know, Ant's a better catch and shoot player. I agree with that. I thought he showed some good catch and shoot against the Golden State Warriors. I texted you. I think he's a better two than a one, but He's not known for his defensive prowess and he's playmaking is pretty bad. And is he's still better with the ball in his hands? Like I really fear we're we're all going to get talked into this uh duo as what's going to put Portland over the top. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist. Like I really do feel like we look at things through a realistic scope. And this year it's been kind of negative. So we talk about that. Like we're not going to sugarcoat something. We're not going to sugarcoat a shit sandwich. Like if it's shit, it's shit. Uh, maybe that they they give the the duo um, an opportunity an audition, but I I don't think you want to also harm the value that the Anthony's built up as well. So it, it's just it feels if it couldn't work with tricky. Dame and CJ in their primes, how is it going to work with Ant? Who like I think one of the benefits of CJ McCollum was his high level playmaking, like. He can make things happen for himself and others. Ant's like five tiers down on the playmaking level than CJ. Like you're you're seeing CJ throw high quality, high efficient passes. You can't do that with Ant. He it, it's not in his game, and it might never be in his game. So you're gonna you're running a two guard system, but the the playmaking is so much worse. And then Dame's quite a bit older than when. He, CJ and he were in the Western Conference Finals. So it seems like it's a bad fit in terms of skill sets because both need the ball. And then when Ant has the ball, he's not going to be able to find Dame in his spots ever. Like, well, Dame also doesn't like playing off the ball. True. But like, I remember seeing Ant miss windows open wider than like of fucking car like teams just don't bother defending the players because it's not going to find them so it kind of worries me if we're going to put a lot of 
our hopes and dreams on Ant and Dame being the same player, essentially, just skill sets are a little different as like the, the, the next three years are going to be this. It seems like we're just on that treadmill kicking the can down the road. So Cronin might have to uh, make that big boy decision and say, we need to diversify the skill sets because, you know, Neil had it in his eyes that in his mind that small guards are this team. So let's let's build around that. Well, maybe it's time to get some heights together because CJ isn't as good with Devontae Graham as he is with Herb Jones and Brandon Ingram and some actual size. Yeah, I mean, let's say Portland wins the lottery. They take Jabari Smith, perfect four. The, a lineup of Dame, Josh Hart, Nasir, Jabari, and Nurk, fantastic. I, I don't like that as much if it moves to Dame, Ant. Who do you start at the three? Jabari, or excuse me, uh, Nasir or Josh Hart, and then you have Jabari and, and Nurk. Like, you need size and you need defense to make up for because Dame and Ant, neither of them are gonna like make their calling card on the defensive end of the floor. They've got too much weight and responsibility f- to score the ball, to distribute, to set up the offense. So I and I think also you can even look back to earlier this year when Portland won six of eight. What happened? They had a big guard next to Anthony. They started Nasir Little. They actually had legitimate NBA size across positions. Like it was regular positions, positional size. You weren't undersized. You didn't have to, you know, play Norman Powell at the three when he incapable of defending NBA level threes. And it's not his fault. He's given up six, seven inches every night. So yeah. hopefully they they just use their brains and not their hearts. Well, and Ansa. Ant's going to be at an all-time value if if we were saying Dame is dedicated. Ant is at an all-time value for his trade market. It's it's like signing trade, which would have to be. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a signing trade, but teams would be willing to give up quality stuff for a guy that is getting 25 points a game and 11 potential assists to end out the year. That's that's a pretty pretty special yeah. i mean make no mistakes about it like just because we're pointing out anthony's flaws doesn't mean we're not excited about him it's just we're trying to be realistic and it's just a bummer that portland's probably best two players kind of identical in a certain way like they're both point guards so uh joe cronin uh, gonna have uh, a tricky summer because there's there's a lot of boom but there's a lot of bust potential like he's got a lot of uh, options, a lot of flexibility, but Sage, we we've talked about Portland having a lot of cap space. And one of those ways would be to let Josh Hart's non-guaranteed contract go off the books. I don't think Portland could afford to do that. No, I think you trade CJ McCollum for, he was like the gem of the CJ McCollum. I, I, I think that that pick, the potential lottery pick is, but it might not be. I said potential. I said potential. Yeah. The, the potential pick is potential until the draft until the playoffs are set. So as of right now, we don't own the pick. So right now the gem is Josh Hart. And I think that he's deservant of a lot of the praise that he's gotten. He, he provides something that Anthony Simons needs currently a guy that's willing to get dirty, play defense, Rebound. grab some board. Oh my God. Like there were rebound props at 11 this weekend obviously i went the under there were props for 11 rebounds in a game he's the best guard size rebounder in the league like he does a lot of things that ant and damien need so i i I think it would be foolish for them to let him leave when he can provide so many good things now and in the future like with when we are ready to compete, and, uh, and well, and Ant's definitely going to be there, but uh, Josh Hart is going to be a major part of the rotation. Is probably going to finish games for us, like with with what he can do as a playmaker, as a shooter, as a rebounder, as a defender. He's going to be there in high leverage spots, and I think it'd be foolish to uh, let him go f- cap flexibility when it's kind of difficult for us to get free agents. I would feel very strongly that we need to keep Josh Hart for for the long term. Yeah, unless you could somehow get an under-the-table deal that Zach Levine wants to come, you don't need to clear max cap space. 
aren't we on the same treadmill as the last 10 years with Zach Levine and Damian? I mean, yeah. So the, this, this free agency class isn't that great compared to some other all timer. So this like, am I going to go out of my way to get Zach Levine? No. Am I going to get out of my way to sign miles bridges? No. So like, I would keep Josh Hart. I think, and- I think DeAndre Ayton's the one oh, where yeah, I you have to look at. So that that's that's a team to watch. I think Phoenix is a team to watch right now. They've Chris Paul injury bug struck again. Uh, they've lost two straight games post All Star break without CP3. If, if if they're on you know all time pace for for that franchise to hit the uh, record for most wins in a season for the Phoenix Suns to lock up the number one seed throughout. So they probably could win a first round without uh, CP, but they're going to need him uh, make no mistake about it, especially to get back into uh, playing shape and, you know, rhythm going in. It's hard to do that during the playoff series, but if, if they don't win at all, or at least get back to the finals and make it competitive, like they did last year, or if Aiton kind of struggles without Chris Paul, their, their, you know, ownership, maybe like we don't, we can move on from DeAndre. Like if somebody throws a max offer at him, we won't match. So that, that's a team. Absolutely. I would throw the max at DeAndre Ayton. So that's a team to watch out for. If they have some shortcomings and he maybe doesn't look super great without Chris Paul, that's when you have to, you know, buy low, sell high. Yeah. You're going to have to pay a premium to buy that, but his value will be low to Phoenix. So that's an instance where yes, you open up some cap space. You see what you can do. Um, Going from Chris Paul to Devin Booker as the, your your lead playmaker is a humongous drop off in in potential assists that he can get, like the potential scores. Chris Paul sets it up like we've never seen before. Devin Booker didn't play point guard in college. I, I watch him. Uh, there was that uh, game versus the Pelicans, and they had Herb Jones full court pressing him and. Devin was getting frustrated. You know, good and well, Chris Paul's seen that full court press with Herb Jones and, and Alvarado all day. He can break that. But when you go from the best ever to shrug your shoulders playmaker, it's going to negatively affect DeAndre's points now and in the playoffs. And campaigns hurt. And Aaron Holiday's hurt. So it's Alfred Payton, Cam Johnson, and Devin Booker as your only playmakers. It could get rough for DeAndre in terms of pure production. It just absolutely could because he's not getting the table set for him. And there's no way that he's going to call his own number to get points. It's all going to be table fed for him. And I I think that what DeAndre could do, like offenses, it is what it is, but that defense, what he is scheme versatile. So putting him in Roy Rogers' scheme, that's like the best possible skill set for what we're doing defensively. So Aiton would be someone that I throw the, the, uh, the farm at. And even if Phoenix matches that, that tie, that's something that ties they them not, up. Too. Yeah. They may not want to do that. They may have buyer's remorse in the year. Like Portland did when they decided to match Alan Crabb's deal. Like it just, it, you and I also remember when Portland gave Paul Millsap that quote unquote toxic offer that kind of fucked up Utah for for a while mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. you can and you can you can sabotage the best team in the conference with throwing that max offer at them. And it may also, you know, DeAndre may come into camp like, oh, I had to get this offer from another team. You guys wouldn't give it to me. Might start to create a little rift. So just uh, something. And there's to- no way that he's going to get all all NBA or Defensive Player of the Year in the next year, right? No, there's no way he's getting defensive player of the year this year. The max would be less than it would be for, let's just throw a name. I don't know his contracts, but Julius Randle would get more because he got the Rose rule. This max would be lesser than we'd throw at Zach Levine because he did get the All-Star. There's four or five centers already ahead of him for All-NBA. If you look at Embiid, Jokic, Bam, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert. I mean, there's five right there. Yeah, so he's not going to get any awards, really. No. So he's his max is going to be a lot lower than it would be for one of those elite centers. Or we're constructing a holy backboard glossary in the future. So the the jargon that we use right this second about 
max contract. I'm trying to explain it more so and more clear in written words. So check that out on holybackboard.com. Boom. So I, I feel like Aiton's the one guy that we would go all out for, right? And that's a free agent. Would so you do I the same for Brad the fact That free agency is after the draft. Portland oh, huge Portland can know what they need. If Portland strikes out on getting, so I think really the glaring hole for Portland is a power forward, a four. If you don't get one of the top tier fours in the draft, um, I think there's really some good value in Miles Bridges, who has kind of really elevated his game. And, you know, Charlotte, they may not have the funds to do it. They may not see the value in that. So they've got a lot of players that, you know, they got a lot of young players. Yeah, LaMelo needs to get paid. and They just drafted, they just drafted Book Knight. And, you know, they, they, they have a lot of people that, that need money. <laughs> Terry Rozier got paid. So they have Gordon Hayward's uh, contract. So they, they, and they're meddling right now in the East. So that could give them some pause. So uh, you mentioned Brad Beal. No, I, I don't love the idea of, of another 6'3 guard. Yes, he's probably better than, than CJ, but I, I don't think that he's the not The way defender. he talks about COVID, he's worse than CJ. Yeah, yes. I mean, personal bias aside, like I think we're seeing what CJ can do. I think CJ is just as good as Brad Beal. I just, when you play him with Dame and Ant, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to kind of cannibalize each other. Like he's, he's not a defender. He's not really a playmaker. He's not going to rebound the ball for you. He's going to score. You need somebody that's going to do other things. Like what Dame and Ant are deficient in, you need your shooting guard next to them to really master those skill sets. You need a defender. You need a rebounder. You need someone who's going to make the hockey assists. You need someone who can dive on the floor a little bit. You need someone who can score without the basketball always in their hands very low usage low usage high efficiency yes i hope that we get the the power forward of the future so we can but i i guess that miles bridges isn't going to get any award either so he his max offer is going to be lesser than zach levine or if brad beal uh rejects the player option so i i would i feel much better about those two that aren't getting any awards giving him the max then you know with Zach Levine he hit he hit two all-stars in a row and you know might get some award in the and he's not leaving Chicago I mean let's just be real like Mm -hmm. they've got a good thing brewing Lonzo hasn't even returned from injury yet like I I think yeah Patrick Williams like he's coming back like I, I they're nearly a zero less than zero chance that he leaves Chicago. So that's just, that's probably like the big name, but he's not, he's not leaving. Like that's, that would be crazy. I think he even helped recruit DeMar to Chicago. So. Yeah. Man. I'm very happy that the NBA is having the draft before free agency. So we know the, the avenue of attack that needs, that should happen. That uh, justice Winslow has a uh, future on this team. He has a very uh, affordable contract, but with the plethora of wing-sized players coming in and us most likely napping at least one, probably two, is does he have a future as an actual NBA role player for this team? Or is it a... I think he is the one player where it's it's tough to project, right? If you look at... Brandon Williams, you're probably not going to bring uh, – even he's he's looked pretty decent, but you're probably not dead set on bringing a, a 10-day contract player as your primary backup point guard. You look at Ben McLemore, and, and you just see the glut of two guards on the roster. Like Josh Hart can play the two. You've got Anthony. You're going to have to decide between probably C.J. Ellaby and Elijah Hughes – and it is a fantastic shooting guard draft. There has not been a one mock draft that I've seen that doesn't have Portland picking at least one wing mm-hmm. player. So Ben Mockamore's pro- and Ben Mockamore's probably going to go and get probably better than the minimum. He might get a taxpayer's mid-level. Um, and go to a better team. 
go to a better team, maybe a better, like there's just not going to be the shots in Portland. And so could you imagine him on Utah or something like a team that needs some scoring? Like the team that let him go last year, the Lakers could sure use another. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, So that's why I was really surprised that he wasn't moved at the deadline, but justice is a, is a tough, tough player to peg because he's not going to start but he seems like a good glue player, but I I don't know. I haven't seen enough to know, like, does he need a lot of time to to produce? Like some players, they they have to get in there and they really have to get a rhythm before they're able to produce. There's very few like microwaves or pinch hitters where they come in and you know, they're getting you 15, 20 minutes and you're going to get 20 points or you're going to get high level defense. Like, can he make his impact felt in small doses? And I think we might find out over the course of the next few games because I, I, I think they're going to try to give more minutes to Brown and, and Watford. I, I don't have a great answer. He's only a $4 million player. Um, and so here's, gonna... here's the answer for him using fan, daily fantasy as a, uh, as a clue. He averages a point a minute in terms of production. So every every time he's in there, he's grabbing at least a rebound and assist. What's the baseline for that? You feel really good with a point per minute. So in terms of points, rebounds, assists, turnovers, blocks, steals, he can he can do well in limited minutes in ter- in terms of statistics. He can, but here here's the thing with Justice. He needs the ball in his hands to be good. So are you really going to trust him to be that third playmaker on your team? Well, let's be real there. If we're bringing in another guard, they're going to need usage too. That's where it's for me is if he didn't need the ball to succeed, but he does. And that's, I mean, you saw it at Duke. You saw it everywhere that has given him a chance to play. He needs the ball in his hands to hit value. So that's where, for me, it's like, I, I don't think we're the right team for you because we have two high-usage guards right now. We have Yusuf Nurkic. We have Josh Hart. There's players on this team that need the ball in their hands, too. So because of what your salary is, you're the easiest to move on from. Yes, although I think Portland missed their opportunity to move him for oh, yeah. salary relief. So unless you're able just to throw him to a team that can absorb him, but you're going to have to give up an asset for them just to take on an extra four and a half million dollars from you. I bet he's on the team next year. And I, I think he's probably just going to be a, a kind of a Swiss army knife. Like they can call on him if what injuries occur or if they want to change a pace. I don't know if he's going to be in the formal eight to nine player rotation, but I, I, I would bet that he'll be back um, just for just, he's a vet pretty cheap overall, all things considered. I mean, you do have to have the amount of roster spots, a certain amount of allotted players. So uh, I I would feel 80, 85% sure that he comes back. If he's down to mentor, like you need vets that want to mentor players. Like David West isn't the person he is without PJ Brown. If Justice Winslow can, can make Benedict Matherin hit his peak, then he he's worth the $4 million, even if he's playing at like the 10th or 11th man on a roster. I think he's also a pretty smart player too. How, how long has it been since we've wished for that backup point guard? It's been multiple years where we just need someone. Yeah, we need to spell Damian Lillard for 10 minutes. He can do that in a pinch. It's just with the current roster and how team building is, you know, I think he might be a spot rotation player. I think so, too. How do you feel about C.J. Ellerby? It's unfortunate that he's probably not going to get that that third year that all Blazer second-round picks seem to decide to blossom. It's like that year three that they decide to turn, whether it's Pat Connaughton, Gary Trent Jr., Will Barton in Denver. Um, given... I mean, we, we've discussed this. They have now a glut of small wings. And they just brought in Josh Hart, who's 
played well enough to earn his contract. You've seen what Nasir can do at the three. So you really don't want to move one of your guards over to the three because you like what you have with Nasir. And we've talked about this, like maybe prior to the season, like, okay, Portland traded away their pick. They still have Dame, CJ, Ant, and Norm. They like Norm playing the three. Okay, you can see CJLB continue to roll with this team. But even after moving off of CJ and Norm, I think it somehow clogs up his future. It fogs it up even more so because in moving CJ, you found a player in Josh Hart who was probably a better fit long-term in Portland next to one of your premier ball, ball handlers. You also picked up another potential lottery pick. We've discussed, I think there's five or six, maybe seven really fucking good shooting guards, like elite shooting guards in this draft that you would take over CJ Ellaby in a heartbeat. You then also, in moving Norman Powell, get a young player who they're, they're just not going to cut Keon Johnson. He's got first round potential. He has more potential than CJ Ellaby. Like from what I've seen from, from CJ I haven't really been been blown away like, ooh, like, you know, Keon's really a long-term prospect. Like, let's let's see what CJ can do. I haven't seen that from him. So all of those factored in, and then you bring in Elijah Hughes. Like, we thought, oh, they got rid of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, so there may be, there might be a chance for him. No, you bring in Elijah Hughes, and, you know, granted, it was a small sample size. I think he looks the part a little bit more. I think he's more fluid. I think he's smooth. Um, I don't know if he's going to be on the roster next year. They're both restricted free agents, but you know, just from what I've seen, like I think he might be more of like a a longer term player in terms of tenure. I think he might last in the league a little bit longer. I think, I mean, Portland's not doing CJL be any favors having him play the four. That's that's kind of trash for him. That's not not a very good proposition. But I just haven't like. When I watched him at Washington State, I never wanted to play against him. He always made big plays, always hit big shots. The thing for him right now, he's not hitting his shots. He's getting open looks, and he's not nailing them down. Like I know they called him the Green Lantern because all of his uh, metrics and statistics and, and vitals and everything, they, the tests that they ran, they, they jumped off the board. And you know when they drafted him, I was like, okay, like this guy was good at Washington State. He was like a pest. I just I just haven't seen that. And, and unfortunately, I, I do think he might be a role player who gets a second or third year contract in the league. I just don't think it's going to be in Portland. We have too much talent and too much potential in the backcourt and that small forward position uh, right now. And even more so after that draft, like I said, this is the first time Portland's had a lot of picks in forever. Um, they're definitely going to get another guard. I don't need I- I think that CJ Ellerby would be a really good European basketball player. Like there's nothing wrong with having a, a 10 year career in one of the high level Euro leagues or Australia or China. There's a lot of things that I see that I like of him. And there's a lot of things I don't. And I don't think he's going to get that chance with the Blazers. So no, I mean, he, he had that one game in Philly last year, the CJ Ellaby game where he was like, oh, but there was a Nick Stauskas game. There was the, like yeah. everybody, everybody can pop off. Tony Delk had a 50 point night. Every, every, you know, every squirrel can find a nut. Did you want Was there enough Keon tape in the in the uh, in the uh, game against the Warriors for you to have a, an opinion about him? Because I feel like his his movement skills make me think that he is has a a chance, and then I watch him try and score a layup in traffic, and I'm like, oh, that's the Keon I remember. There he's, was a lot of Russell Westbrook finishes from him with in traffic today. He is a very long term prospect, and I say that in the nicest way possible. But I think it's a player that if you're smart, you will take that risk and you'll be patient. You will wait. If we had a G League team. He would be the star G League player. I think you develop him. Um, bring him along slow. Give him as much as you can right now. Don't expect anything. That is the biggest thing. Do not put expectations on this player. You really have to just let him blossom because the talent is there. Uh, I saw a couple of times like a foul was called, but he was ready against the Warriors to make a really incredible weak side shot block. Like he has the... Uh, he has the instincts defensively and he has what the tools we, too. What have we been, you know, just yelling about for the past 10 years? We need defense. 
this kid can bring it. It's just, you have to wait. I mean, I don't really know how else to put it, but if, if the shot comes, the shot comes like that will determine whether he hits his peak or not, but there's always going to be a calling card, a spot on an NBA bench for a player who can come in and clamp down your best perimeter score. Yeah. I mean like bottom line, mm -hmm. there needs to be somebody that stops the Damian Lillards of this league, man. So he, he has the tools defensively to do it. And you look at the, the first bucket he scored, first bucket of the game for the Blazers came off some really nice, just instincts and cuts. Eubanks hit him for that nice bounce pass. He cut through the middle, finished. If he can just slowly start to pick up the game and, you know, it's going to be tough with so many new faces and picking up an offense, but just and lack of shooters surrounding yeah, let, let is going to be the big thing kind of take over and, and just play and move and kind of feel uh, Eubanks is a willing passer, uh, which is great to have um as, as as your starting center when you're trying to develop so he'll get the ball like what i don't want to see is i don't want to see him just perched in that corner you stand there and you shoot if you get the ball that's not his game that's not how he's going to succeed that's how he fails if he's going to be a corner setter that's how he fails um you mentioned him the oregon state alum how are you feeling about him and how do you feel about him starting over Trendon Watford in the center spot? And I get it that you need to have somebody with experience in that second unit. And I guess Watford is that. But how do you well, feel Eubanks about has more experience? <laughs> experience with this this roster. Yeah. Um, I was honestly a little surprised that they, I mean they just given Watford this this contract extension, two years, and then another two year team option. Uh, you would have thought they would have went with him as the starter. I mean, I think he has, I think Eubanks is a warm body for the rest of the year, to, to be perfectly honest. If, if so do they back, give him another 10 and then sign him for the rest of the oh, year? I, I think with Yusuf, he's going to be the starting center for the rest of the year. Bar, bar, you know, knock on wood, you don't want anyone to get injured, but at barring injury, he's the starting center. I mean, he played 20 and 28 minutes in the last two games, so. He may come back as a third string big, maybe as a two-way contract player, but I was a little surprised. Like you give Watford this this contract, he's a rookie. Like you want to, you know, I, I kind of want to see what he can do as a starter, but um, it kind of is what it is. I, I would have went with Watford. Uh, you kind of, Drew Eubanks, he's been in the league long enough. You know what you're going to get. You're, you're going to get a, a player who's going to hustle, probably not going to stretch the floor, doesn't have a lot of size, has decent athleticism at the, at the five, but uh, does Portland gonna... have their type with centers. They want their center to be a little bit of a playmaking hub. Sure. Seems that way. He definitely threw some nice bounce passes to cutters in the last two games. My question is, is, is he ever going to play minutes with Trendon? If that, if, if the answer is no, what is going to be the, the split between those two they're both semi-young i mean trendon's a rookie but ebanks has been in the league for a while like but they're both relatively young is the split going to be 24 24 is it going to be 28 22 uh ebanks or is it going to be watford like what do you think the the ideal split between those two bigs they both bring things to the table but we're, we're trying to see who's going to be the potential third big when next year so what do you think that that split is going to be between those bigs? It's, it's not going to be 24-24 because you also have Greg Brown, the third on the roster as well. And, I mean, good God, you only have three players really of, of any size to play the mm -hmm. four and the five. Like I said, CJ Elby started the four tonight, like, which is an incredible job at trying to lose a basketball game. So kudos to that. But there's going to be a time where you're going to have two of those three, Eubanks, Brown, and Watford, on the floor and you're just going to have to make it work. That's why I was saying like, if Greg Brown can just even show signs of being able to hit a three point shot at the NBA level, fantastic. You take that into summer league and you say, you work on this. This is how you become a pick and pop five. Like, cause I think that's really what Portland's been missing. Even, even when, when you go back to when they drafted Damian Lillard, they've never had a five that can stretch the floor. They had a four in LaMarcus, but we all know LaMarcus. Myers. 
Yeah, Myers a little bit. I know you more, you forgot you're trying to forget about the Myers Leonard. Myers experience. had like two games in the playoffs where yeah he did that. I mean that was the the hope and, that Myers would become. But it, and it he played never, against Boogie and Boogie didn't eat him up once. Yeah, it's. I mean, you go back like Lamarcus didn't love playing the five. So you look at Robin Lopez, Mason Plumley, Yusuf Nurkic, and now whether it's Eubanks or Watford or whoever, but you know Dame has never had that stretch. Bitch. He's never had the popper. He's never had the pop. And in today's NBA, you want a space. You, I mean, you would love a player like Lamarcus in his prime to play with Dame. Put him at the five. And that way you can kind of spread the floor. Like that's really what I want to see uh, with, with Portland is if, and that's really why I think there's so much value in a player like Chet Holmgren or Javari Smith mm-hmm. um, as they can, they can both play, play big minutes for you and just elite level shooters. Like you got to You got to shoot the basketball in the modern NBA. You've got to put a lot of pressure and stress on a defense where they have to think about every player you have. You can maybe get away with one non-shooter, where they might leave them open, but that's just, that's kind of what, what I would like to see, because I mean, you can only have so much playmaking and there, I mean, what I've noticed watching the college game, the spacing is awful. I mean, the, the players, they can't, they can't score out of, you know, 10, 15 feet. So the, the pain is just packed and you're watching non-shooters having to take open shots and, and they're not going in or they try to continue to push it in the paint. And there's just no room to operate. So for a player like Greg Brown, if he can, I don't care if he goes over 10, get him. Yeah. Get him open looks, get him comfortable with that. Like he is, he has a lot of potential, just the physical raw tools, the athleticism, the, the hustle. If he can just start piecing it together slowly, but surely you're looking at a rotation level player in the second round. You take that and run every day of the week. So that's, that's kind of what, what I would like to see is like, okay, you've got trend and you've got Eubanks. They, they can be your playmakers. You don't need any more playmakers at the five. What how, Brown, if you're, if you're in the lineup with them, how, how are you spacing the floor? How are you providing value? What, what can you do? Because that's probably going to have to be your role next season. There's not many Kenneth Fareed power forwards left in this league. So you got you got to develop that skill set. All right, Sage. Uh, up next for the Blazers, and we don't need to discuss this too much, given we don't know what roster they're going to throw out there, and it's it's really a to be to be nice. It, it's not a good roster they'll be throwing out there, but they do have two upcoming games this week. Uh, they kick off a four game road trip at Phoenix, broadcasted nationally on ESPN Wednesday. They're going to be grumpy after losing to uh, the Jazz and the Pelicans. And they start a back-to-back in Minneapolis against a Timberwolves team that is fighting to make the playoffs for only the second time since 2004, I believe. So uh, Minnesota is anxious to get on the winning path this year. Sage, when don't we don't necessarily need to break down these games, but when you're tuning in for the the final 21 games, what do you watch for? Um, I watch for those things that we didn't expect, like the the the, the finishing craft, but by Anthony, you you're gonna watch the uh, playmaking of Josh Hart. Just watch for those little skill sets that can be built upon, like. I, I didn't know that Ant could score like that. The way Josh Hart attacks is going to create a lot of gravity towards him. So things like that, like Greg Brown hitting a three, uh, Trandon Wadford doing a nice dump off pass to Anthony Simons or any of that. Like I remember you talking about the behind the back pass to Hassan Jin, that type of stuff. Sebastian Telfair, baby. So if you are going, if you choose to watch these games, which all the power in the world to you, watch for the Hassan Jin development. Watch for the Sebastian Telfair development. Like that's what that's what it's all about. It's not like our team versus their team, especially the two pl- teams that we're playing. Like no, nah. the organization has made it very clear they do not want to make the playoffs this year. So, it's, it's so not watch, a, watch it's, for watch it's for not about sets. the final score. Yeah, watch for skill set. Watch how Keon gets to the paint. 
watch how if their skills to build on with these young players, you know, like game, how many games are left? 21. Yep. So in game five, he can do this, but in game 15, he's developed that skill set or made it so you can believe there's something to be built upon. That's how you watch these games. Like who are we playing? The Suns and Timberwolves. Those two teams are actively competing. So how, watch how Ant decides to go against the Phoenix trap. Because I bet Monty's going to try and trap this young guard. Watch how Josh Hart moves off ball. Like there's things that you can watch that, you know, don't really affect the scoreboard because we're probably going to lose by 30, but affect the future of this team in terms of development. That's That's what I will watch for is, you know, Greg Brown developing that shot or and learning learning to read the uh, the opposing defense more. I think everything that everything can be learned upon in these 21 games and there's not that pressure of we need to win this. So I I'm excited to see what these young guys can do on the on the big stage getting big boy minutes. Ebanks has played the most Ebanks on the, the Spurs had only played 24 minutes the most on the Blazers. He already surpassed that once out of two games. So there's things that you can see from everybody. So yeah, watch for internal development and these games are going to be rough, but if you choose to watch it, watch for that. You have anything? I, I would just say I, I'm watching. I'm all in on Keon Johnson. I, he doesn't have to blow your mind away. But you have to leave this season with at least a, f- a flash of brilliance. If you listen to our Future Friday episodes, which you should, they're fantastic. We always, we always talk about what, what is the flash of brilliance that you see for, from a prospect? Is he going to just do something incredible on the defensive end? Is he going to catch a lob? Is he going to show where he gets hot from, from three one of these games? Like, do you go, Do you go into summer league thinking like, okay, I saw enough that, that I'm excited. I, I can see the vision with this prospect. That, that's, that's I think, the mo- the biggest key over the next 21 games. is like, this guy was a first-round pick last year. What what can he do? What is Where's where's the hope? Where's, where's the potential? Where's the brilliance? Like, if you can point to a few things, Vic, okay, I see it. It's going to take some time. But I, I, I'm patient. I, I can wait and just watch the development. Keon has skills in in these uh, podcasts. I've questioned the shooting ability, but I've never questioned the heart hustle and the tools. It's only 21 games. So the, the light at the end of the tunnel is growing near and near and near. So it's there, baby. Yep. And March madness is going to be really soon. And I mean, it, it'll be time to prepare for those draft picks. So, um, be on the lookout for Friday where we talk about talk about Keegan Murray from Iowa. Then it's it, it it'll be it'll be conference tourney pretty soon. So I'm very excited to see where all those top teams end up and who's coming into Portland for round one and two. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we're available everywhere that you listen to podcasts, and we're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!